0: Here we are, opening the the space. So, we'll have some opportunity for questions. Just consider what seems relevant, helpful, manageable to bring up right now. And I'll happily respond to it.
1: Thank you very much for the teaching. Sometimes um, when I reach the observer point and I try to open the, the awareness, I feel kind of lost, uh, lost and in, in kind of foggy. It's like I feel they lose a sense of purpose. Sometimes when I have more um, tight attention, when I lose that to open up, I kind of uh, feel sleepy and foggy, and so I don't know what, like, I understand that you shouldn't cling on something, but I, like, when you don't cling,
0: uh, don't you just float? So that's my question. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Well, um, uh, yeah, the observer, observing is quite a common way of talking about meditation to observe what's going on, but as you can see, that's very much a visual metaphor, right? What visual consciousness does, and when the mind operates as if it's an eye, is a certain, quite tight, clear focus, sharp object definition, right? You can see what's going on. So the mind, when it operates like an eye, as it often does, often the mind is very much connected to the visual human beings. That's fine we have got clear things, but when things are not so clear, you get lost. Why well, it's more helpful to operate more like um, two other bases. The heart, how does it feel? Does it feel comfortable? Does it feel beautiful? Does it feel steady? So, not so much object, so much as felt experience, felt relationship. And that can take a while, like, first of all, perhaps not feeling steady, feeling confused. Okay, then where in all this can you feel steady? Okay, I can feel steady when I focus on the pressure of my seat on the floor. Okay, that's a steady point. So you, you begin to learn how to steady your attention through focusing on felt experiences rather than visual or quasi-visual experiences. The other thing to operate is using the mind as if it's a hand. So, see, with a hand you can either point things, you can also... How does it feel? How does it feel? So this activity of the mind keeps it awake. A certain sense of inquiry. How does it feel now? Yeah. Because that pinpoint grips, and it's held awake by the grip. When you release the grip you maintain contact through this kind of activity how does it feel now? Now, so you sort of keep probing feel like fire, like air, like smoke like keep kind of like a kind of questioning sense going on As so if you're handling something is it rubbery, is it sharp is it warm is it wavering is it steady, is it cool and Well, wait a minute. First of all, you need to get where does it feel steady and where do you feel most comfortable. So those help to give it those are your baseline. From there, you can't. This is the not steady, the not comfortable. This is very helpful because with mental objects, thoughts and impressions, if we witness them, We've seen them very much as like finite objects that arise and pass, correct? So here comes a thought, pop, another thought, or oh, tangling thought Ooh, you know, and I'm sort of outside it, but with a felt sense, nothing is really an object at all they're just they're just like currents in the field, yeah. They're like, there's the energy, going, tightening up, and then it relaxes, the thought melts, so you don't, it doesn't have to pass, so much as it loses its sharp direction, it's a melting into a continuum of mind, a continuum of, of, you could say, sensitive intelligence, Sensitive intelligence, intelligence that's about sensitivity. Now, thought is quite intelligent, but it's not very sensitive because <laughs> it's not receptive. It tends to duck, 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 duck. but, 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 but. But so, receptivity is sensitive. It's a receptive intelligence. Feels like this. And oh, now then, you're much more clear about where the restrictions, the contractions occur uh, where you're getting compulsive drawn in yeah? and whether your mind is actually losing clarity, losing definition it's becoming foggy and then you okay, feeling foggy, so let's direct my attention towards a sense of something firming it gives firmness such as opening the eyes or space, opening the eyes, firmness, feeling the body. Now from there, keeping those two p- bases in mind, you can even meditate with your eyes open, and you've got the space, and you've got the firmness. All this kind of fluidity of mental forms just passing through, rather like ripples in a stream. You know, that have no real, actual solidity at all. They're just you know like shadows moving through a through a, a stream mm-hmm. so the purpose purpose is an interesting word purpose mm-hmm. the purpose is release sometimes you understand what things are about sometimes you don't understand but what you can understand is this causes constriction. This is how to release it. This is where it's absent. This is where it passes. That should be understood. It's like how you're feeling. Can you? How you feeling? Is that a? Is that an object or just a general? You know, how you feeling? You can't really say exactly because it's all kinds of. Yeah. You know, that's the felt field. And within that, you can notice oh, this is where I really feel strong and this is where I really feel intense and this is where I'm feeling spacious and this is where things settle down. Those are important points to recognize.
1: Okay. Hi John. Nice to see you again. I wanted to have a better understanding of the um, instructions for walking meditation. You mentioned about this sort of like feeling or from my understanding, uh, a sense of firmness and openness. Um, I don't think I understand it very well. I just keep on kind of like losing track or just going back to my normal, um,
0: way of walking meditation. So, walking meditation, with walking you've got to put your weight on one leg and lift the other one, right? Obviously. So, the, where your weight is resting on that leg, does that feel firm? Okay. If that's firm, the leg that's lifting is that light, okay, light, right, Then it swings around you put it down on the ground, and then balance shifts so the light leg becomes firm and the firm leg becomes light. So you make the next step. Does that make sense to you? Yes. So what happens is the body shifts its axis and with the contact with the ground and the weight pressing down, the energy in that leg becomes quite firm, like a spring that you're pressing down. And the other leg is like a spring that you're releasing. It lifts up. So you get them shift from firm and impressed to releasing and lifting. And they flow from one to the other. Um, so you focus, obviously you try to focus on that oscillation from one side to the other side. And so that gives you something whereby you're not looking so much, not looking with your eyes, not even thinking, oh I'm walking up and down, but just this is what happens, this is how the body knows it's walking try to get how a body knows how to walk it has to orient around those two particular impressions then also a kind of flow between one and the other which is really interesting because how does the body really feel that that leg is now firm and then it feels it can lift the other leg up because you realise it's quite a delicate operation you can easily, standing on one foot, you can easily fall over so the body has to move through balance and only the body knows balance so just kind of quieting down and sensing how a body operates from places of weight and lightness then between those two there's a kind of a, an equipoise which is sensing, sensing you know, this is light this is heavy, heavy, light rhythmic and you, up, you walk according to a, a tempo or a speed that keeps that rhythm in mind, it doesn't really matter how fast you're going or slow you're going so the tendency with going fast is that you're going to marching and marching is very much like getting there yeah it's it's a visual experience you're trying to get to a point well that's not a body experience the body doesn't have a point to get to the body's already here so you want to almost like slow like swimming in fact yeah okay so that's what I would suggest then you can also open that last exercise is much more to do with widening your sensitivity to, say, the boundary of your skin the frame of your body as if you're like a sail in the wind you know, just picking up moving through moving through the space so that's really nice because it helps your body to really open up uh, you know and we don't even realise a lot of the time our bodies are slightly weak slightly contracted, because we don't really notice space. So when you really notice space and you feel how how lovely the opportunity of space is, you don't need much, you know. (laughs) It's it's quite a... Then you get the relief because form, all form to a degree is afflicted It's afflicted by pressure. It's afflicted by something impinging it. Space is not afflicted. Things pass through space. So, one description is, you know, when you you focus on the form element, you can see whatever perceptions arise in the form element that cause contraction, such as pain, discomfort, tension, you turn your attention towards places that are not negatively afflicted, you know, like breathing it out in your belly, throat, things like that. And then you turn your attention from form itself into the space. So that means that you're not much impacted by the impressions that form receives, which is sense contact. And internal form is, is always agitations internally. So widening your awareness you include the space element it helps to take the relieve the feeling of form form becomes almost anonymous you know, it's just a, a texture within space and that's that's takes a lot of issues out of it <laughs> you know, what, what was the other question
1: I was wondering whether. the the practice what you were trying to get us to do because you were saying about how there's a lot of emotions that's trapped in the body. So I wonder whether when you practice this kind of like openness, you know, whether this is associated with the tightness of the body or a way of your mind think about certain things, whether that would release some kind of clinging on.
0: Yeah, if you release those internal contractions, then there is a release from the perception that triggers it. So essentially, very simply speaking, these perceptions may be to do, with not intellectual experience at all, impressions of feeling withheld, feeling under pressure, feeling sort of overstimulated, so you feel really buzzing, you know. And just keep, you don't have to understand it, but know how to release it. Gen- generally, releasing is associated with widening, softening, and also an added, a mental attitude of dispassion and kindness. But of course, you know what repetitive strain syndrome is? Right? When you're typing all the time, it means these hands get so, these few muscles get used so often, they become very strained now similarly if you get certain sets of emotions running through your body they create emotional strain in the body it's like we may have lost the emotion of trust or the emotion of faith or the emotion of contentment is barely noticeable but the emotion associated with pressure obligation (sighs) you know that's been so strongly worked it's like a ruptured muscle (laughs) and it hurts and the problem with that is that anything you say well it'd be good if you meditated oh no I can't because it hits that same obligation do you see what I mean? so often I find that you know people because people are under a lot of pressure these days in terms of performing and getting things done those aspects about which we can do it if they get overused all the time right? what happens is that particular emotional pattern and the energies in the body become so inflamed that it's very difficult to have a sense of I should meditate because it, you just I don't want to do it. I've already worked out, I'm already stressed out I don't want more stress. So So often in meditation you have to start okay well what's really needed now is to stop the obligation <laughs> stop the sense of having to arrive at a goal or a performance ah uh, yeah and then when you now when you're a bit more comfortable now you can sense now you develop a different kind of sharper or more refined sense of motivation We can't keep using the same mental muscles all the time. They just get stiff and eventually you're just worn out. And often the people are worn out by there's too much stimulation or too much obligation. Or sometimes both. But then the problem is that you kind of meditation didn't just so. Sort of, uh, <laughs> I've been stimulated so long when you switch things off the mind doesn't know how to operate. Yeah. How we work on... Okay, just very simple walking, standing. You know, something that almost happens by itself. And then just keep relaxing the pressures and the so your energy becomes more uh, balanced and comfortable
1: thank you very
0: awesome. okay great
1: hello Jim hello there. you talked about um, and trust and I wonder if you could say a little bit more about working with
0: doubt in terms of the theme of the retreat? Well, doubt occurs because we get I suppose we get used to or we look for conceptual clarity and uh, so the mind gets used to having things clear conceptually clear uh, and that, that state is a rather constricted state <laughs> because once you put down the book or the program or whatever you're doing, which has got clarity in it, actually you you, you enter a realm which is not conceptually clear, and then you get things. What am I supposed to do? Say, so, well, it's not really about doing. Where am I supposed to be? You're already in it. You're already. You look at what you're doing. Your sense of searching, your sense of doubting, your sense of looking for something to to get firm on, which is what it's about. Instead of trying to get firm about an idea or a purpose or, or a definition, get clear about the presence of your body is here. So there's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. The mind then moves much towards, more towards the receptive feeling experience rather than conceiving experience. Does that make sense to you? So what's called manyati is conceiving and direct experience is called pajanati, pajana. So you move much more towards the directly sensed experience, which is never, conceptually, never that clear. You know, if you really ask yourself, who, are, who am I? <laughs> you can't. Where am I? You really ask it very fully. What am I? it's just changing shifting senses are not that clear what you can be clear about is whatever it is it's changing and it's not conceivable and that there's no doubt about that the jitter shifts its orientation towards the direct felt experience and away from the abstract conceptual experience. Direct felt experience is direct, felt, always apparent, but at the same time, it's got a lot of changing currents in it. Whereas abstract conceptual experience is nice and clear and sharp, but it, it doesn't take you to liberation. And only a few things can fit into it. And by and large, our societies tended to go to the abstract and conceptual. You know, one and one equals two, straight lines, but there are no straight lines in nature. Uh, you can't measure the coast of Britain. <laughs> because it depends how many curves you want to fit in. As though you can't measure it. You can approximately, but you can't actually measure even the coastline, length of the coastline of Britain accurately because it's always changing subtly at a micro level. Though so nothing is, finally nothing is measurable. But you can sense, or oh, here's land and here's sea and here's firmness and here's movement and here's where I feel balanced and here's where the space is. Is that helpful?
1: Thank
0: you. Oh, thank you, good. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Ajahn, for your teachings. You spoke about the uh, energy in the hands and the feet and the head, and in the beginning you talked about, you know, if you're feeling a sense of uh, buzzing in the body, put the hands down, and if you're feeling a little sleepy and sort of slothful the hands up so I was playing around with that and I was getting a sense of what you were talking about and then when you spoke about the hands and the feet and the head of releasing I got quite curious and so I'm wondering if you could talk more about that.
0: Okay, Uh, let me just uh, run through something and see how it goes. Well, first of all, I was suggesting you put your hands down on your legs if you're feeling ungrounded because you get the direct contact. If you feel you've got too much energy, have your palms up, allows the energy to stream out so you're not so intense. Same thing with the soles of the feet. You see this area on your hand, it's similar structure to your feet. You've got toes, and this place in your feet, the sole of the foot. If you really practice, this is great when doing standing meditation, just practicing, focusing on this area. Because this is very sensitive in the feet, and this is where the energy comes into the body. And if you poise your whole body over that, those places in your feet, you get a very light sense of being lightly held, where your muscles can relax. So, sit down it can be very relaxing, because you use the sensitivity of your feet and the way the body can align itself to those places in your feet. And then just whatever muscles you don't need, you switch them off. Right? So this is just a nice thing to, to practice with, because the energetic domain is, is, is very potent. This is where passion and fear and distress... Is really felt, churning your guts up, tightening in your throat, powerful emotion on the energetic level. And so, you know, we want to be able to kind of release and, and that because, of course, if it is comfortable, it's exceptionally um, uh, rewarding. And if you get comfortable energy, then it's so peaceful and happy that you're not really interested in external phenomena so this is the way to samadhi and so you start to shift from sensory uh, pleasure to energetic uh, pleasure you know, in the body in uh, your head I don't know exactly what I was saying about your head but head is also extremely sensitive area because um, this is where all the all the expression occurs you know the muscles and all the contact through the eyes, and the way we signal to each other, primarily through our faces. We smile, we frown, we look around, we, you know, so there's a lot of energy happening up here. It's very much about communication energy, and it's about emotional energy. We express our emotions with our faces, even before we use the words, you know. When we were little babies, we looked at our mother, and she was smiling, we felt happy. We didn't understand a word, but she was going, goo, 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 goo. We felt good. <laughs> she frowned we didn't feel good. We get it, you know. <laughs> so this is a highly activated area. And it's, it's activated, Not it's not a power, it's not an area for lifting weights. It's an area purely associated with perception and meaning. I'm being friendly towards you. I'm looking at you with friendly eye. I'm not so comfortable what you're doing. So it's purely about transmitting perceptions, you know, internal messages, correct? Mm. So it carries all the uh, effects that our emotions and meanings have conveyed. So all that comes out through the face. This is the thing that people focus on. Yeah. So it's, it's had a lot of energy run through it. Uh, good, bad. Happy, unhappy, this is the area. And you notice, say, around your eyes, when you get tight and tense, determined, you know. And if the eyes are scurrying like this, you get a lot of thought activity. So often discursive or scattering thought is associated with rapid eye movement. Whereas if you hold the eye open and lot of soften around here just keep you open and relax your forehead and your temples sometimes it's very difficult to think at all because thinking requires a certain contraction in your head to do it. The more you can release your the contraction into your head the less thinking occurs And the less thinking occurs, the less mental objects are created to get you stirred up. Because what arouses our emotions when we're sitting in a room on our own, it's not anybody else, it's my thoughts. (laughs) Now if I can just switch those off, I'm not going on about what he did and didn't do, or she did and didn't, and what they think. I've stopped all that. What was all the fuss about?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so this is a way we, we can... This is the kind of... The, the, the bridgehead between the, out, the social world and the heart comes... This is, this is the doorway between the social human contact and the heart. This doorway has a lot of stuff running through it. <laughs> yeah. And so if we can just release the door suddenly the world of social contact goes down. The intensity of social contact diminishes. Just because the door is so much wider. So, of course, this means social contact, we could say in real terms, real people, and social contact when we're sitting there talking to all these people. <laughs> Where the door can get very, very <laughs> and it's banging banging around. <laughs> so these are releasing so these points here, the temples. If you can imagine these very similar to this, if you feel the texture of this area, it's very similar to the palms of the hands, soles of the feet, very similar close soft, spongy. There's very little bone there. Temples and around the socket of the eyes and the forehead. Just imagine you're kind of gently wiping across here and wiping around here and soothing these areas. Relax the jaw. And When these areas are open, you'll find that the conceptual realm dies down um and as a sense since you're no longer so constricted, you feel pretty spacious, you know so often in when we do anything, we always assume to focus means to do this form of focus is the better focus is this, but actually, this is a good focus too, still a focus. That's a good focus too. So you're definitely holding a focus, but you're stopping the focus doing this. Holding a wide focus because our default is always a narrow focus. Reading, looking at symbols, looking at details, it's always just releasing in order to relax the mind. Because of this is why the head comes off the shoulders. Because <laughs> there's so much energy up here that we've lost um, contact with this altogether. So your head is kind of... Shh, there's almost nothing underneath it anymore.
1: Integration. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, thank you. I hope that's helpful. Thanks. Nice to meet you. Good. Okay, it's time for one one more, I think. One more question,
2: if there is any more. Hello there. I have one question. You mentioned about practicing qualities which help us um, to release the mind, to release the chitta. And I've known already in the suttas that the Buddha put, put a high um, emphasis on bad how we can cultivate joy and happiness through um, actions based on intentions of uh, sila or um, generosity dharma. So when I try this in my own practice, I have a feeling it can be quite constricting if any form of judgment or evaluation come in, or an inner critic makes a fierce appearance. If I try to practice generosity or um, or any form of sila. And I have this constant measurement going on. And it's something which I find rather constricting and uh, not as helpful as it is supposed to be.
0: So you reflect on generosity. Why does that make your mind constricted? You know, What would you do?
2: So, thanks for asking. What I observe, for example, I live in a community and um, I do... Things in the household and the question would appear, is this enough? Should I do more? Is it appropriate oh. to do this amount? Should I do more? Is it a constant measurement of it's it's <laughs> not, it's a chi? should I be more generous? So <laughs> this can be could could causing a lot of papancha Indeed.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I see what you mean, yeah. Yeah, it's putting putting a measure on the measureless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How much matter does he deserve? <laughs> How much compassion did I make today? <laughs> Am I compassionate enough? This is like putting putting the <laughs> the measureless inside a measure. So we try to, instead of that, um, just focus on the feeling of it, what it does, the quality of dana, just as, as uh, not just in yourself but in others. See, oh look, she's being generous. That's that's beautiful. That touches me. You know. Uh, it's not an accountancy program. It's more like, um, you know, it's more like a naturalist. You see, oh, there, there's generosity, like a bird flying by. Look at it. it pretty? Look what colours it's got? There it is, you know. Uh, or it's, um, you know, like tasting soup. You know, oh, there's there's the generosity. There's the dana. Get into the felt quality of it, and how it affects. It affects your heart now these are heart based qualities and uh, the problem is that though all of us have hearts and are a lot of heart basis we tend to be ruled by our minds and um, measuring minds because that's the organ or the aspect of mind that we use in our job in our ways of everything is this is six, this is 10, this is good. You know, it's, all, it's all extremely um, measured. right <laughs> you know this is fast, this is slow, this is this country, that's that country we measure it. Uh, and that, because that gives a sense of control and efficiency and, uh, and clarity. Um, but you want to move away from that and to just how does it feel? How does it feel? feel? mental feeling that is emotion you could say or the basis of heart being touched is it strong is it soft so you can still measure it but you measure it more in terms of that's a very powerful quality there it's very strong now it's not so strong now it's you know and it's got a certain expansive sense to it so then you can assess it, which means you can actually sense it and form an assessment of it, but not measuring in terms of quantity so much as in terms of the quality of it. Yeah. So this is uh, sort of like a uh, quality of loving kindness is very strong because this, this being is someone who evokes it. This one is more difficult. There's a little bit there, but it's more difficult. Not so strong. And we might notice, when does that disappear? When does that quality of metta disappear? You know, under, the quali- under the sense of fear, or pain, for example, or feeling mistreated, you know, feeling abused, the quality of metta disappears. That causes, then what, does it, what causes it to arise? Well, the sense of safety, the sense of the lovability of creatures, our creatures have a, um, we, can, we can relate to them. We can empathize with them. You understand? Yes, I do. Yeah, because of course, big problem with human beings is we, are, we can be empathic. We should really feel for each other. We're sort of extremely cruel. <laughs> There's nothing as cruel as a human being when they cut off their feeling. So it can go either way, you know. And unfortunately, often in a a measuring society based on measurements, the empathy is less because we're based on how well they perform, how well they do things, how much he's got, what he doesn't have. And all these measurings take us into the non-empathic quality. So you want to get out of that. And particularly towards oneself this is where the measurements really get very crazy <laughs> and a, a compulsive and never contented <laughs> so there's a sense of like just just love it, you know, like if it's bad just love it anyway because <laughs> there's only way it's going to get better <laughs> and anything that's good in it Anything then just appreciate the fact that I'm not violent, you know that's wonderful. <laughs> I didn't kill anybody. that's wonderful. you know appreciate the good that's there and and enjoy and then this is very much uh, uh recommended by the by the Buddha because this is a very powerful and um, uplifting capacity that we have, then our hearts really become boundless and measureless. Towards ourselves and towards others. Okay, I think we'll uh,
1: pause on the questions for today.